0: To listen to a sermon from Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church. As a church, we want to see whole communities captivated by Jesus Christ and living out His freedom. Luke chapter eleven, beginning at verse thirty-seven. When Jesus had finished speaking a Pharisee invited him to eat with them. So he went in and reclined at the table. But the Pharisee, noticing that Jesus did not...
1: hello hello.
0: You Pharisees clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You foolish people... Did not the one who made the outside make the inside also? But give what is inside the dish to the poor, and everything will be clean for you. Woe to you, Pharisees, because you give a tenth of your mint, rue, and all other kinds of garden herbs, but you neglect justice and the love of God. You should have practiced the latter without the former, leaving the former undone. "'Woe to you, Pharisees, because you love the most important seats "'in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces. "'Woe to you, because you are like unmarked graves, "'which men walk over without knowing it.' "'One of the experts in the law answered him, "'Teacher, when you say these things, you insult us also.' "'Jesus replied, "'And you, experts in the law, woe to you, "'because you load people down with burdens.' They can hardly carry, and you yourselves will not lift one finger to help them. Woe to you because you build tombs for the prophets, and it was your forefathers who killed them. So you testify that you approve of what is what your forefathers did. They killed the prophets, and you built their tombs. Because of this, God in his wisdom said, I will send them prophets and apostles, some of whom they will kill and others they will persecute. Therefore, this generation will be held responsible for the blood of all the prophets that has been shed since the beginning of the world, from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who was killed between the altar and the sanctuary. Yes, I tell you, this generation will be held responsible for it all. Woe to you experts in the law, because you have taken away the key to knowledge. You yourselves have not entered it. And you have hindered those who were entering. When Jesus left there, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law began to oppose him fiercely and to besiege him with questions, waiting to catch him in something he might say.
2: Hello, my name is Rachel and I'll be reading the next two readings. So starting from Luke 15, verse 25 to 32, and that's on page 1036 if you're using a pew Bible. He was lost and is found. Then if you just flick over a page, we're going to Luke 18, verses 9 to 14. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everybody else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself. God, I thank you that I am not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted.
1: Oh Father, you're so generous, so willing to give, and yet our eyes so infrequently see it. Father, I pray now as we read this word that you would flood our hearts with a knowledge of your grace and your abundance and your care for us. I pray this for Jesus' sake. Amen. Uh, sometimes when I open up a passage on a Monday morning to prepare it, I am filled with the kind of awestruck wonder that makes me think I, I don't even know what this word is about because it's quite obviously from God and I don't don't know how to what to do about that. Uh, some days I open it and I, uh, I see the beauty of the God in it and I'm just kind of chomping at the bit to teach that to others as well as to my own soul but Sometimes when I open the Word of God to teach it, it feels like it's nails boring into my bones. Some words I read, especially the words of Jesus, seem to know me better than I know myself. And today, as we look again at this majestic parable of Jesus's, I feel the nails again. Uh, As I look at this, I know so clearly that the older brother is me. Uh, My parents tell me that I was the child who never cried, as opposed to my sister who was always very noisy. When my sister rebelled in her teenage years, I just decided to become a little bit more compliant, because I thought that would be convenient for everyone. I went to a school where there literally were sergeant majors in charge of discipline, and you could, get a, you could get a detention for breathing, pretty much, and I didn't get anything for six whole years. I was that Narki kid who always got the citizenship award at the end of every year. I'm not saying I'm perfect, but that's the kind of person that I am I was labeled in another service, one of those goody two-shoes, perhaps. But what Jesus does today is he looks at people like me, and he says, you know what? Lurking behind your goodness is a toxic spiritual illness. In Jesus' day, there was a group of people called the Pharisees. And what they devoted their lives to was keeping the rules of God down to the minutest little letter. They were fastidious in their seeking of God's favor. They were the good people of the day. And yet in this parable, Jesus crafts the character of the older brother taking aim at them. And he says, behind your goodness, behind your rule keeping is a toxic spiritual sickness. And in fact, Your goodness, he says to them, is in in the way of the purposes of God. So what I want to do tonight is quite simple. I want to explore this older brother, who is myself really, and probe that sickness. We're going to look at three ways you know you're an older brother, and then we're going to look at the one remedy. Three ways to know you're an older brother, and the one remedy remedy. The first way you know if you're an older brother is something I like to call slave mentality. Slave mentality. Have a look. In verse 25, we, we meet the older brother in this parable. If you, you're catching up from last week, the younger son, he ran away, he partied, he came back, he didn't think he was worthy. The father gave him hugs, kisses, rings, lots of bling, lots of robes, massive party. And the older brother doesn't know anything about this. In fact, in verse 25, we learn a lot about him because where are older brothers? Where are they? They're always doing what they were supposed to be doing, people. Like in verse 25, the older son, he was in the field. He was working. He was doing what he was supposed to be doing. And uh, he hears uh, this partying business. He's not quite sure what to do with party, so he calls one of the servants over and says, hey, what's happening in there? And the servant's like, wow, I get to tell him the great news. Your oldest, your youngest son, your brother, he's he's come home and your dad's put a ring on him and is throwing a massive party. It's then that the older brother, verse 28, responds with furious anger, a telltale sign of an older brother. The father comes out and pleads with him. You've got to get in the party, son. Don't you know what's happened? And the older brother says, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Can you feel the tone of voice happening there? You know, it seems so out of place. But what's happened here is that the father has disrupted the transactional worldview of this older brother. What's happening here is the older brother has a mentality where if I obey, you will accept me. If I obey, you will give me what I want. If I follow your orders, then you should be following my orders. It's a slave mentality. The whole identity and self-esteem of the older brother is all about his capacity to achieve what he has done and what that merits. But it's completely out of place, isn't it? Because he's not talking to a slave master. He's talking to his father. Jesus says of the Pharisees of who he's aiming this older brother at in Luke 11 that we just heard read. He says, woe to you, Pharisees, because you give a tenth of your mint, rue, and other kind of garden herbs. I don't know how you give a tenth of herbs. That sounds very, like, time-consuming. You know, you got to count the leap. Anyway, and, uh, but you neglect justice and the love of God. Jesus says, you guys are like a flame that is all light but no heat. You know, you're great at following the rules, but don't you know that fathers, they don't want rule keepers alone. They want love. They don't need slaves. They need sons and they want love. Jesus takes aim at the Pharisees and says, you keep the rules beautifully, but you don't love God. It's almost like the Pharisees are worshiping a different God. Rather than the generous father the first half of the parable, full of love and generosity, they're worth being this slave driver who you've got to work so hard just to get anything, even to get a place in his house. You better be good. You better keep the rules because otherwise you're out. Jesus says, you have mistaken who God is and you have forgotten that love is the thing he wants above all. He goes on to say in Luke 11 that you Pharisees, you clean the outside of the cup, but the Uh, cup and dish but the inside is full of greed and wickedness he says your whole performance program of rule keeping doesn't change anything about you it is empty spirituality if it is not combined with love for god slave mentality now i used to be a youth pastor And so in the days since I finished being a youth pastor about six years ago, I've kept in contact with a whole bunch of young people, and I've heard this one story more times than I can count, of someone who was a Christian when they were younger, and they tried to do the Christian thing, but then eventually it stopped being a delight and it became a bit of a burden. And they described this moment where they were just so fed up with God because they'd worked so hard, but he wasn't helping them in life at all, that they just cut him loose. And they always look them in the eye and they tell me, I felt so much freer. I felt like the burden was gone. I've heard that story more times than I can count. But when I look at Luke 15 and I think about them, and I think about those moments, I think, wow, I, I I think you've got the wrong God. And I think you're living like a slave. Because the God of this parable, the God of the Bible, is not a slave driver. He's a generous father. slave mentality is out of place. I don't know if you feel even in, in, in this place this evening, the noose around your neck and the burden on your shoulders thinking, I don't know if I want to do this anymore. But let me tell you, you don't have to live like a slave. But the second thing we notice about older brothers and how you know you are one is what I want to call constant comparison. And you see this in verse 30. And 29, he says, You never gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fat and calf for him? <laughs> Can you feel the smirk in that? Uh, he's embellished the story a little. The narrator doesn't even tell us that the younger son. Went to prostitutes. He just says he had a wild time. But the older brother is fixed in his mind and has had this whole story kind of stormed about about what this this brother has been doing. And he has this ability to put that younger brother down to exalt himself. See, this goes hand in hand with slave mentality. Because slave mentality isn't worthwhile unless you can prove that you're better than someone else. You know, dad, I've been here slaving away. Look how much I've done. He's just been off squandering money with prostitutes. I mean, I come to this church here, the church down the road, that's crazy, right? This this place is much better. And I read the Bible better than that other person over there, and I'm much better at keeping my life together than they are. Jesus, in Luke 18 that we read as well, characterizes the Pharisees again and, and talks about a Pharisee who comes to the temple and prays, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers or even like this tax collector I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get older brothers constantly compare because it makes them feel good, it gives them self esteem and it builds a sense of self righteousness because when I'm better than someone else then God can accept me rather than them and we can do this with anything you do it with your work, you can do it with life, anything I learned that this has become a part of me since my time in high school. I really loved my high school. But one of the realities of it was that absolutely every single thing you did was ranked. I mean, I played trumpet. And I knew exactly how good a trumpet player I was in the school. I knew my exact rank. I knew how to get higher. Uh, I knew how good a striker I was compared to everyone else. And I had a, 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 you know, a, a rank in cadets. And I knew how good I was at maths. And I knew what, is, uh, what place in the year I was overall. And let me tell you, I loved it. <laughs> it was the best. Because at every moment, you could tell how much better you were at how many other people, at how many different things. And uh, what it grew in me was uh, a, I want to grow self esteem through putting other people down in my own mind. A constant comparison, a constant putting down of others, and a prideful lifting up of myself. And we see that at the heart of the older brother here. But what Jesus says is that is nothing more than self obsessed religion. And he wants nothing to do with it. Slave mentality and constant comparison. But when these things grow, they grow into something deeper. And really, this is the point of the parable. This is the thing that Jesus is driving at. And what happens when these two things collude is that uh, what it develops in us is a distance from the Father's heart. Did you notice how when there was a moment when the older brother could celebrate in verse 28, instead he did the exact opposite? He could have gone into the party and felt joy. Instead, he refused to go in and felt angry. At that moment in the story, we're supposed to see that the the older brother is worlds apart from his father's heart. The father who gives a generous welcome to the prodigal and and the older brother who is angry at the very thought of a party. What we learn here is that the older brother, he is geographically proximate, but he is spiritually in another country. Because he shares nothing of the father's heart. Because this father likes to find lost things. This father likes to see dead things come back to life. This father likes to show love to the unlovely, to invite in the lost, and to create new things beginnings. What happens in our hearts when we're constantly comparing ourselves to others is they become objects and rungs in a ladder and our hearts, they become hard and we forget and we become unable to show compassion. And what Jesus is using this parable to do with the Pharisees is to wake them up. And they're saying, it doesn't matter how many rules you're keeping, you're far from the Father's heart and you better wake up. The parable doesn't even have a resolution because it's not supposed to. It's supposed to provoke interest in us and in the Pharisees so that they change. You see, if your practice of Christianity doesn't take you deeper into the heart of the Father and outward in love to others, then according to Jesus, it is useless. They're the three ways to tell that an older brother has taken hold of your heart. Slave mentality, constant comparison, and distance from the father's heart. So, what do we do about that? All the older brothers in the room are like, just tell me what to do. <laughs> I'll get out my plow and I'll do it right now. <laughs> let's get on and let's let's get a rule and let's get on this. But what Jesus prescribes as the remedy to this illness is an entirely different spirituality. You see, what older brothers want to do is demand things from God. I want to ask things from God. But the opposite of that is to delight in who God is. Now, I don't know if your dad is like mine, but my dad can tell within 10 seconds of a phone call whether I actually am calling to see how he is or whether I need something. It's about 10 seconds, right? And then he's on to it, and he's like, Matt, why have you actually called today? That's what he actually says. Um, and then, I don't know, no, the game is up. <laughs> um, you know, there's a world of difference between asking constantly from a father and delighting in who he is. And you see, the, the one move that the father is trying to do in this story is get his son into the party. Because the remedy to the sickness in his heart is to delight in the love of the Father. Hear the words of this Father. Verse 31. My son, the Father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. You are always with me And everything I have is yours. This son who's just told his father that he's a slave driver, thrown it in his face. The father looks him in the eye squarely and says, you're not a slave, you're my son. You belong at my table. You have a place in my house. He says, I am always with you. It's a statement of the permanence, the stability, the safety of the son's position. You don't have to work, he says. What are you working for? You see, slave mentality says, I obey, therefore I'm accepted. But son mentality says, I am wondrously accepted, and so I obey. Slave mentality says, I'm following your orders, do what I say. Some mentality says, I love you. I'm going to do what you say. In fact, I don't just do what you say. I love what you say. See the world of difference between the two? One is fearfully insecure. The other is wondrously safe in the permanence of the Father's love. You cannot change the Father's love towards you. You cannot I'm always with you. His second phrase is about generosity, though. Everything I have is yours. And literally, that is true. Because remember, the the father has divided his estate in two. And the younger son's taken his portion. And so what's left is the older son's portion. Literally, everything is his. There he is in the slave field every day, just kind of hoeing away, going, one day I'm going to work myself enough to own this place. Father's like, it's yours already. What are you doing? Everything I have is yours. Why are you working for something that I am abundantly and have generously given you already? Stop striving and rest in my abundance. Rest in my generosity. Slave mentality is fearful of being left without and being left alone. But son mentality is secure in the permanence and the extravagance of the father's love. Now, I have to take these truths and apply them daily, to be honest with you, because I constantly have things in my head happening that go a little like this. I have always things happening about how I'm not significant enough. That's one of the favorites on the tape reel. And another one is how I'm not superior enough to others. And the other is about how I haven't achieved enough in my life yet to be acceptable. But what I have to do is take the words of my father and say, you know what? I am significant to him. And I don't have to earn anything to have a place in the house that he has already given me. Be quiet, heart, stop striving and rest. Rest in the love of your Father. But the other thing this does when we delight in the Father's love is our comparison is turned into compassion, you see? Because when you feel secure in what God has given you, secure in the love that the Father has for you, you know what other people? They don't have to be a rung on the ladder anymore. You don't have to be better than them to be accepted because you're already accepted. So all of a sudden, you get to see them just as you are. Someone else who's as lost and as, need, as in need of the Father's love as you are. Comparison gives way to compassion. And this is where the Father, he goes. 32, but we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost, and he is found. See what the Father's doing? He's assured him of his love, and he says, guess what? You've got to take on my heart now. You've got to take on my love as your love, and my vision as your vision. Let your comparison give way to compassion, because I am about finding lost things and dead things coming back to life. You know, I heard a story recently um, of someone who was in, at York, uh, Cambridge University about 15 years ago now. And this guy, Chris, he grew up, he didn't know much about Jesus. Uh, he went to Sunday school a little bit, but no one had ever described to him the love of the Father like in Luke 15. So there he is studying away in his suite in Cambridge. And he has this friend who's part of the Christian group there. And the whole week ahead of them, there are Christian events on every day about the reckless love of the Father. And this this, this guy knows that Chris needs to know. But Monday goes by. He has nothing. And Tuesday goes by. And he just doesn't think he can do it to that day because Chris looked at him weirdly. And then Wednesday goes by. And he didn't cross him that day, so it didn't happen. And then Thursday goes by. And Friday goes by. And he's it's too late in the week. And so he forgets about Saturday, forgets about it. And then Sunday rolls around. and He thinks, I have to invite Chris. walks up, knocks on the door. Hi, Chris. There's this thing that I'd like to invite you to. It's kind of Christian. I was just wondering if you'd like to come. You know that feeling, right? That awkward feeling. And Chris looks back at him and says, yeah, I'd love to come. He walks into this event, Luke 15. This parable is opened: the reckless love of the father who welcomes prodigals and older sons all the way home. And Chris hears uh, about Jesus for the first time and on the spot becomes a Christian, comes home. Uh, You know what? Chris, these days, is a lecturer at Moore College in the Old Testament. Um, but his story started with an ordinary person taking on the lens of the Father that lost things need to be found and dead things come back to life in the love of the Father. And he not only felt that in his own heart, he was willing enough to reach out in compassion to others and give them the chance to experience and know the forgiveness and love of the Father. You see, the, the danger we're in, friends, is that we think God's heart is just in here. And let me tell you, His heart is here tonight, and He, and he wants you. But let me tell you, God's heart is also on King Street, in every single pub right now, at every lost person who He wants to call home, every dead thing that He wants to bring back to life. And He's summoning us tonight to take on his heart experience his love and to be one with him in his purpose to call people back to him that flyer you have on the way in that i talked about earlier is for your chris tonight it's for that person you feel a bit squeamish about but you want them to experience the father's love because this parable is calling to you to knock on their door this week and summon them in come on Come and hear about my Jesus. Come and hear about this Father whose love never gives out. But as we conclude, we know that there is something that always holds us back from that, isn't there? There's all these kind of weird fears we have about being rejected by people and all these kinds of things. But I think the thing that actually holds us back is that we haven't actually really deeply known that love that the Father has for us. And if I'm honest with you, the the root and center of my life as an older brother is about the fact that I want to be the hero of my own story. I've loved hero stories my entire life. I love Luke Skywalker. Bless your soul. Um, uh, I love every superhero. I gravitate towards books with heroes because I want to be one for myself and for others. But what Jesus says to me, is that I cannot be the hero of my story. Because my love is too weak and I don't deserve a place at the Father's table. The one person who does is the true older brother, the Lord Jesus, who not only obeyed the word of God, but loved God. He deserved to be a son. And yet when he walked in this world, he gave up on a cross his life for my broken attempts to save myself, that he might gain me and you a place at our Father's table. One, not by our striving in the field, but by his own death and resurrection. By his death, we are permanently and extravagantly established in the Father's house. And it's to the extent that your heart knows that, that you cannot be your own hero, but the Lord Jesus is hero enough and beyond measure that you'll be able to take on the Father's heart and invite sinners home. So I want to invite you this evening to no longer be the hero of your own story, but to rest instead in the love of the Father. Father, here we are with open hands. We know we don't have to live like slaves anymore because you are not a slave driver. You are a generous Father. We know that we don't have to compare anymore because we are accepted by the blood of Jesus. And Father, we want your heart tonight Your compassion. And we no longer want to be the hero of our own story because Jesus is by far better. Father, reach into our hearts today. Help us feel the permanence and the extravagance of the love of you, our Father. And open our eyes to your heart. In Jesus' name,